Praise the Lord. When you hear an announcement like that, you think, I'm not that old. You know, I'm 48 years old. I resist 50. I'm binding it and cursing it and sending it away, but it keeps coming. But praise God. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a little boy. And I'm still glad that I did it. And I still like Jesus. I was asked the other day by a reporter, why do you... Why are you a preacher? I said, well, I like Jesus. And I almost shocked him. I said that I liked him. And I said, I like what he said. I like what he did. And I like what he told me to do. So it's a deal. I like him. Hope you still like him. He's not sugar daddy. He's your friend and God. Amen. He's a good God and he'll help you. But I've served the Christ all my life. Not been perfect, but I'm sincere. And I do my best. And when I do something wrong, I repent. Grandma always told me, repent quick saves you a lot of heartache. Write that down. Repent quick. Some of you haven't repented in a while. That's why there's trauma in your life. Just say, I'm goofy. I need help, and I'm sorry. Amen. God can take that. And most of your friends already know it. And you'll be okay. And the other one is be quick to forgive people. You know, one thing we all have in common, we've been disappointed by people's behaviors or uh, they promised something and for whatever reason they couldn't keep the promise, whether they never intended to or maybe something happened where they couldn't, uh, you have that. So uh, just be quick to forgive people and go on. You know, life's too short to hold a grudge. Life's too short to be mad at another person. Go buy them Starbucks and be happy. Yeah, I can tell you, not quite there yet. I came to KT many years ago, as Bruce said, and it's been my favorite place in the UK. And uh, I'm so glad that over the years, the friendship has been maintained. I believe in Pastor Colin and Amanda, and I believe in Pastor Bruce and the team. And many of you are my friends, and I miss you. And uh, when I come back, I have to take days off just to have enough time to have coffee with everybody, catch up with everybody, and see your new babies and your new houses and your new puppies and everything else you got going on. That's called life. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, the 50th chapter. We'll start in just a moment. I want to mention to you uh, that the Bible school is going to start real soon. And we want to encourage you that are here and you that are watching to prayerfully consider coming to a Bible school. Let me just kind of say it American style. Don't go to a dumb school. Go to a smart one. Can I say it like that to you on a Sunday night? Just because somebody nice is in charge of it doesn't mean they teach you the Bible. Just because they have a big building doesn't mean they teach you the Bible. Go someplace where the Bible's taught for sure, and then they, in a nice but blunt way, make you do it. Thank you for the no amens on that point. (laughs) Being taught and having the demand to do it at the same time is the only way you grow up healthy in the things of God. Hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. If all you do is hear and never do anything, you're lopsided. Amen? And so there's little brochures back there. I'm going to be doing uh, September 30th and October 1st, I believe it is. It's open days in the school. So you all come and hear me. I'm going to be doing two days in the school. But, uh, you know, one great blessing about this year, besides Gabriel being in charge of it, is Dr. Kendall is coming. Do you know how... A great honor that is to have a man of that stature to come and teach you 
and minister to you and get to talk to you in that classroom in a very personal way and, and where you can ask questions of somebody that knows something. And he's a, the number one theologian of the world that likes the Holy Ghost. Not every theologian likes the Holy Ghost. Some theologians just like themselves. Are you all here? Did you turn to a bunch of dead people this Sunday morning? Say amen. And so I'd encourage you, especially why Dr. Kendall's here, to make sure you take time to be a part of that. And even if you've been to school before, you might want to come again just to have the pleasure of sitting uh, with Dr. Kendall and hearing him teach the Bible. He came a few times when I was principal and uh, I enjoyed listening to him teach the Bible. I sat in the back of the room and took notes with all the students because he had things to say that I wanted to remember. Then I had part two called lunch. That's where you get your second teaching from a Dr. Kendall. And you can ask him 5,000 questions because you're buying lunch. So what about this? And what about that? And what, you know, it's, it's good to talk to people that know more than you do about things and have lived longer than you and experienced things. Only a fool talks to someone that knows less than them and calls it smart. Lord, help this people tonight. <laughs> Not to be afraid of tonight, but enjoy the night. Amen. How many know that I'm on God TV every Sunday? Have you ever seen my show called God's Journal with Robert Slairdon? Every Sunday morning, while some of you are in church at 9.30, but you can watch it later on demand on God TV. I come on in over about 200 countries of the world through their media. And so very happy that Rory and Wendy as well as come on their network. So you can watch me and, and, and I'll scream and yell at you on TV and teach you the revivals and all the things. It's very good. We're having a great time with that. So make sure you're aware of that and help spread the news. I've written 68 books. How many of you written? Most books never get written. They just stay in people's heads and run around and go, I'm a book, I want out. I'm a book, I want out, and they never come out. The hardest thing about a book is putting it on, on paper. People come to me all the time, I have a book. I say, have you written it? <laughs> well, until you write it, don't talk to me. Because a publisher can't publish something you haven't written yet. They can't publish, publish a thought that's still in your head. It has to be on paper. The Lord gave me my book ministry when I was a teenager. He said, uh, if I'd ride, he would sell them. That's called a good deal. That's why we've sold about almost about 7.6 million in English. And we have, I don't know how many, 56 languages of the world now. And so I go places and they walk up and hand me my book in a, at the airport and say, here's your book. I didn't even know we had a, a contract for it. Uh, and we didn't. They just do it. And so you just kind of go, praise the Lord. Be happy, don't get mad. I want to mention some of my new books to you so you can go by and get them and read them next week and not read your newspapers because your newspapers are crazy. Jesus, please come tonight. <laughs> Have you ever met a demon? Uh, if you just walk down London for about five minutes on one of the streets, you'll bump into one somewhere. If you go to New York, you'll bump into two. I wrote a book called Haunted Houses, Ghosts, and Demons, what British people can do about them besides visit them in castles. It's amazing how British folks want to go to castles and foreigners come here to go to haunted castles. What is a haunted castle? It's a building that a demon lives in and moans at nighttime and scares stupid people. What do you do if you go to a moaning house? You cast it out, have dinner, and go to sleep and wake up and have breakfast and be happy. But most churches don't teach you that because they're scared of it. Like I said this morning, 
uh, I, I went back to America after I worked here, and uh, on American TV, prime time, we have a whole show called Ghost Hunters. Where they have special TV cameras that run around in haunted houses to look for demons. They call it a ghost, but their official name is demon. Don't let Hollywood give a new name to what the Bible calls what it is, a devil. <laughs> that scares me. Well, you're watching the dumb show, drinking cappuccino and watching ghost hunters. Then I noticed one afternoon, we had a lady from New York. I don't know why they come from LA and New York, but they do. Psychics on national TV, little spiky hair, runs around Long Island and gives fake prophecies to stupid people. And they go, oh, thank you. I thought, what's wrong with America? Psychics used to be on the wrong side of town in a house with a red palm in the window. Now they're on primetime TV. Then I noticed werewolves and vampires became hot and sexy instead of ugly and crude. When I was a little boy, they were mean and ugly looking. They'd bite you and you'd run and scream. Now they're hot and sexy vampires that come on TV, Twilight and all those. And America and British people go, oh, have you seen the show? I've seen demons since I was five years old. I don't need to pay to see any of them. Are you here tonight? So I wrote a book called What You Can Do About Demons Besides Run From Them. Praise the Lord. I throw books. If you're not used to it, you might want to wake up. After being born again, the next most beautiful thing that I hope will happen to you is that you'll get filled with the Holy Spirit and allow one of the evidences of his inward dwelling called the unknown tongue to come up out of your belly through your mouth. When you pray in tongues, you're normal. If you don't pray in tongues, you're kind of goofy. Okay, I'll say to this side of the room. If you don't pray in tongues, there's something wrong with you. Thank you. You got it. There you go. I wrote a book on praying in tongues and being happy about it. Say, well, my church where I went to don't pray in tongues. That's why you're here. You're not in your church no more. You're in KT. Don't ever be ashamed of anything that the Holy Ghost does to you or through you. Don't apologize for it. Just stand there and smile and let people cope with it. Say, no, no, no. What you're ashamed of will quit working for you. What you're ashamed of will stop flowing through you. What you politely and boldly accept and, 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 and love will work through your life and cause wonders in your life. So you don't get like this, like me, just because you're a nice person. You get like this because you pray in tongues out loud where your own ears can hear your voice and if need be, the next door neighbor can hear it too if they listen hard enough. And I don't ever apologize for speaking in tongues, publicly or privately, never. Brother Roberts, I just want to go to heaven. Well, that's great. I'm glad you'll make it there, but you'll have a terrible, miserable life on earth if you don't get all the blessings that the Bible gives you while you're here. And one of those blessings is the Holy Spirit in speaking with tongues. Amen? I was asked to speak tonight on the importance of how you talk, the power of your confession. And I want to read from the book of Psalms, the 50th chapter, if you would, if you haven't turned there already, or turn your phones on so you can, um, can look at it. Psalms 50 and verse 23. Whosoever, that's your name. Anytime in the Bible you see the phrase or the word whosoever means you. 
So you can put your name right there. Roberts Lairdon, or whatever your name is. When Roberts Lairdon offers praise, it glorifies God. Hallelujah. So when you worship God here a few moments ago in this church and you sang songs we all know, you were worshiping God with your mouth. And the Bible says when you worship him, you, you lift him up and you bless him and God gets happy over it. God likes when you worship him. The Bible also says when you worship God, he inhabits. He hangs out where folks worship him and honor him and respect him. God don't go to a place that doesn't respect him. God doesn't do miracles in a church that don't respect his miracle working power. And God doesn't let his presence dwell in a place that they don't open their mouth up together and sing songs to him and bless him. But also, he won't come to a house where the people that live in that house won't do the same thing. If the only time you worship God is when you're in church and not when you're at home, your Christianity is not quite complete. Good evening, everybody. It's not quite complete. You say, but Brother Roberts, I don't, I don't have a good voice. I have a verse for you. Make joyful noise. <laughs> See, that's my verse. Because I don't have a Fabio voice or a Jonathan voice. I have one of these rough voices that when I sing, things leave for the wrong reasons. No one ever would ever buy my CD. That's why I don't make any music CDs. But I have a verse for my voice and for your voice too, if you're like me. Make joyful noise unto the Lord. Make joyful noise. You say, well, I don't want to bother God with my bad voice. Here's how I picture it. It comes out bad, but it's tuned before it hits his ear, so it blesses him. I don't know if it works like that, but that's the way I picture it. I think somewhere between here and his throne room, it gets tuned. So it's a blessing. So I don't mind making joyful noise in my house or my Hilton hotel room. It's my room when I'm there. And what I do in my room is my business. And what you do in your house is your business. So hopefully God likes what you do in your house. And if you'll do like Wigglesworth would, they asked you one time, Brother Summerall went to, to his house here in Bradford at 70 Victor Road. Lester Summerall was a young man. Brother Summerall was a little older man. And uh, Brother Summerall had been asked by Wigglesworth to come and speak at his Easter convention that he had every year in Bradford because he traveled with a great man from England named Howard Carter that built the first Pentecostal Bible school here in London at Hempstead. And so Brother Wigglesworth asked Lester Summerall, would you, um, would you um, uh, speak in an afternoon session of my conference? And that was a great honor to be asked to speak at Brother Wigglesworth's Easter Convention. And so Brother Summerall was a young man and got up and gave his testimony and what he'd seen God do around the world and preached some. And all of a sudden, Brother Summerall said, I felt this big hand on my shoulder. Boom. So I turned around to see who did it and it was Brother Wigglesworth right in front of everybody. He goes, the Holy Ghost quit 15 minutes ago. When are you going to stop? He said, I quit real fast. Like right then. I stopped. He said, you know, I, I, I was around Wigglesworth in several conventions. He goes, I was with him in Scotland. He said, I went with him in Scotland and, and we were doing a conference in Scotland together and they had made a, a meal after church out on what we call the picnic of a church, you know, after church. And they'd roasted a big old pig, a hog. 
And they asked Brother Wigglesworth to, to bless the food. And Brother Wigglesworth goes, if you can bless what you've cursed, then bless this stinking pig, amen. Uh, only Wigglesworth could get away with stuff like that. Brother Summer said, I laughed all the way through lunch, watching everybody's face react. Brother Wigglesworth's prayer blessing over that hog they prepared for lunch. But that was his personality. And Brother Wigglesworth said to Brother Summerall, why don't you come and, and visit me at my house? Anytime you want to come and visit me, you're welcome to come. Now listen to me, young people. When somebody like that gives you an opportunity like that, you don't wait two years or two months to walk through that door. You do it real fast, like, real fast. So I made time to come and see Brother Wigglesworth, and he goes, I went up there and knocked on his door, and he said, I looked like a British person. He was, a, he was American. He goes, I had my bowler hat and my newspaper under my arm and my umbrella. And so Wigglesworth opened the door, and, and uh, he goes, Brother Wigglesworth was always fully dressed, every hair in place, and very immaculate dresser. He was very tall, and he filled up the door frame. And Brother Summerall looked at him and said, how are you doing? He said, I should never ask that question to Brother Wigglesworth. He said, Brother Wigglesworth raised his voice and said, I don't ask Wigglesworth how he feels. I tell him how he feels. <laughs> he goes, yes, sir. Uh, yes, 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 yes. He says, I get up every morning before I get dressed. See, back in those days, uh, people went to bed with those nightgowns, even the men, you know, those long ones you see on old shows. Are you all here? Good evening. He goes worse, told him, before I ever get dressed, when I get out of bed, I dance around the room a little bit and worship God. What do you do when you get up in the morning? Oh God, it's a bad, another bad morning. Where's my coffee? I can't function until I have my addiction. Help me, help me. Don't ask me any questions until after breakfast. What kind of crazy Christian are you? No wonder God can't give you a country. You can't take care of your morning because you don't know how to start your day. Psalms 50, 23. Whosoever praises, offereth praise, glorifies me. Now watch this. And to him or her, that ordereth their conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. Wow, what a verse. Now notice, whosoever ordereth takes responsibility for how they talk. You just can't talk any way you want to and keep God's residential power on you in a tangible way. How you talk is important to God. It's important to your daily victories, your daily success, your daily thinking, your daily feelings. And the Bible says, the person, th th that means some don't do this. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No, 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 you're still a Christian. You're just not a happy one. You're as happy as you could be. If the person orders his conversation, look at the word choices there. Orders, directs, 
commands, puts in right biblical function. Whoever orders their conversation correctly, God will show you his glorious salvations. Say, but, but, no, 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 don't start, but, 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 no, no, no. I'll read it to you again. Verse 23 of Psalms 50, just in case you forgot it. Whosoever offers praise. Uh, that kind of means you don't have to, but you should. Like Wigglesworth, get up in your morning and order your day by making yourself feel good even when your body's kind of grumpy. Talk to yourself and say, we're going to order our conversation correct for the day ahead of me. And we're going to worship God first and acknowledge God first thing before Starbucks. Before anything else goes on, our first order of the day is to open up our mouth and our home and our nightgown. And tell God you love him. Tell God you love him. And worship him for a few moments. Sing him a song or just giving great words of adoration out of your belly and out of your mind. Even if you don't feel like it, order it. Order it. Order it. Brother Roberts, I love Jesus. Well, whoopee-doo. It's amazing when you preach like this how folks start telling you things that has nothing to do with your message. Like, well, I love Jesus. Well, I know you love Jesus, but that's not my message. My message is not about loving Jesus, so don't act like you get a brownie point when you don't do this just because you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, tell him. In the morning, tell him yourself. By yourself. He that ordered this conversation correctly will, that's a strong word, that means no maybes. Will means no maybes. It means it shall happen. It will happen. The person that will order his conversation correctly, I will show. I will demonstrate. I will bless them. I will show them the glorious salvation of God, the Bible says. And that's the way you should start your day. Your morning, you live in London. Hello? Have you been on the underground lately and saw all the depressed people down there exchanging demons? I'm sure that's not changed much when I lived here. I get up every day and get on the underground and smile and folks thought I was smoking stuff. They thought there was something wrong with me because I was happy. Well, well, I live in England. They have a lot of taxes. Well, they have a lot of taxes other places too. Well, I live in England and the weather is always bad. Well, you chose to live here. And I had to remember when I moved here, I thought, I don't like your weather. Why didn't God move England a little bit closer to the equator? Was it so far north? But I had to make a decision that weather don't control my mouth. Taxes don't control my mouth. Hardships don't control my mouth. I order my conversation myself. Now, you can either complain or you can worship God. It's your choice. You can either talk, faith talk or unbelief talk. That's your choice. But just remember, my brother and sister, how you talk determines what is shown to you in your life. If you order your conversation correctly, 
God will show you victories. He will show you his salvations, Psalms 50, 23 says. Let's go to Proverbs. You all here with me? Go to Proverbs, the 18th chapter. I know some of you have heard this before, but I want to teach it to you again to remind you and some of you that are new believers, teach it to you for the first time. The devil works real hard to take charge of your mouth. He wants to have the government of your mouth because he understands better than most of us how words open and shut the world of God's blessings and the spirit over our life. Words move angels back and forth too in your life. So the devil wants to take up a government inside your mouth. He wants to order your conversation. He wants you to talk like what he wants, how he feels, what he wants to perform. He don't want you to see the salvation of God. He don't want you to do what is right. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. This is a wild verse. I'm telling you, this verse can change your life if you'll actually believe it and do it. The book of wisdom tells us death and life, bad things and good things, are in the power of the tongue. Do you have a tongue? Do you have one? Stick it out. Let me see it. Let me see your tongue. Come on. I know it's rude, but I want to see it. All right. You all. So only about half of you did that. The rest of you. <laughs> no wonder I'm here tonight. Sometimes you've got to be kind of, kind of different to get things across. If you have a tongue, then death and life is in your ability. Death and life is in your mouth. What does that mean? It's so simple, most people miss it. How you talk. If you talk negative and death things, you create death and defeat in your life. If you create with your mouth faith and good things and God's words you say out of your mouth and you create good things in your life. You say, but Brother Roberts, what do you mean? It's not difficult. It's not difficult. Listen, how you talk. You talk death talk. What is death talk? Doubt talk. Unbelief talk. Failure talk. Quitting talk. Survival talk. Overwhelmed talk. <laughs> that kind of talk. That's death talk. Brother Roberts, I just love Jesus. Nah, don't go there. Listen to me. I know you love Jesus while you're here on Sunday night. Listen to a crazy American preach. But hear me. Your mouth, your, your mouth. If you have a tongue, you have this ability. And I saw lots of them. There's a lot of life and death sitting in this room today. How you talk. Death talk again. It's negative talk. Doubt talk, unbelieving talk, defeat talk, survival talk, anti-God talks. That's death talk. What is life talk? It's faith talk. It's believing talk. It's miracle talk. It's positive talk. It's victory talk. It's life talk. It's happy talk. That's death and life, and it's that simple. And it sits right here. Not over here, not back there, 
right here under your nose and above your chin. Right there. That's where life and death sits. Right here. You see it every day, two or three times a day. Ladies, probably 15 times a day. You comb your hair and go to the mirror. While you're combing your hair, you should look at your nose and your chin and see the death life channel of your life and look at it for a while. You even put red lipstick on it. <laughs> and while you're doing all your lips and making them real bright and red and you're fixing your hair and doing all that stuff, you don't realize that behind those red lips is death and life. You need to make sure they look real red for your husband and your boyfriend. And you don't realize behind those red lips is life and death. And it creates it by what comes out through your words and how you talk. Hebrews 11. Are you enjoying my message yet? Yes. See, Brother Roberts. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hebrews 11. Verse 3, through faith we understand. Now, if you don't, you're about to understand. That the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Look at the first part of Hebrews 11.3. The worlds, the natural world, the spirit world, the worlds, God spoke it into existence. Now look at me just for a minute. And he gave every one of us a little bit of that same creative power in our mouth to create our world by how we talk. We, every one of us in this room and you that are watching me, every one of you, God has put a little bit of his creative power that he used to create the whole universe and all that we know and all that we'll discover. He spoke it. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be, and there was. He put, hear me, third time. He put in every one of your mouths a little bit of that power that he used to create the world so that you can create your world by what's in your mouth. Do you see that? Now, you don't have the, all of God's power in your mouth like he did, but he gave every one of us enough of his power in our mouth, if we'll use it the right way, to create a good world about how we talk. Most people don't understand that you're living today and how you talked yesterday. You feel today on how you've been talking in your past. If you don't like your life, you might want to do a checkup on your talk. You might want to check up how you've been talking. Maybe in your family. Your family just, you know, they just say whatever they want to say. Uh, that's not ordering your conversation. That's letting it just be wild. And whatever flies in your head comes out of your mouth and takes death and life and starts creating your world by how you're talking. And I'll guarantee you, if you don't take charge of your thinking and your words, most of what comes out of your mouth is death. 
defeat, despair, quit, overwhelmed, comes out of your mouth. I don't live in your house with you. You live there with your family. It'd be good if you all had a Bible study one night as a family and kind of go over verses like this and tell your family, we want to be a family that orders our conversation correct so that God's salvation and beauty will be shown to us as a person and as a family. And where you all can help each other watch how you talk. Some of you will have to learn how to talk again because you've talked so long with death talk and defeat talk and sad talk that you don't know how to talk happy talk. You gotta talk faith and victory talk. My message today, even though it's not that difficult, some of you are still going, you're looking at me kind of funny because what do you mean? It's so simple, you're missing it. Our world out there wants to make life so complicated that no one has any success. And God made the path of success easy for everybody if you do what the Bible says. The worlds were framed by God speaking them into existence. And the world you live in is mainly a product of how you've been talking over the last months and maybe years of your life. Now let me be, I'll just say it this way. And for some of you, decades. Yeah, I'll say that, Lord. Some of you talk life in some things and death in other parts of your life. Lord just said, tell them that. Some of you talk about certain things, real good, scriptural and life talk, but then there's other parts of you, you don't have any faith in that area. Your knowledge of that is very small. And so death talk comes out, defeat talk comes out. And I would say, if you find yourself like that, don't get mad at yourself. Just register and say, I'm gonna work on this. And find you Bible verses. And maybe have your family or a few friends that listen to your conversation. And when you go that way, have them stop you. And don't get mad at them. You're going to get mad, but don't, don't let it come out. Just say, thank you. Because when you have to order your conversation right, and it's been that way for years and sometimes decades, it don't change overnight. There's a little bit of a battle there to get your mouth to start talking life talk and to leave the death talk that your head and your ears and the world around you is used to you talking like that. Are you with me? Let's go to the Gospel of St. Mark. Aren't you enjoying these Bible verses? It's amazing what's in the Bible if you actually look at it. You could actually be shocked because what I'm about to read to you is one of the wildest scriptures that Jesus ever talked about faith. Mark 11, verse 22 through 24. Now, I want you to listen to this verse because you're going to be shocked if you've never really read it. It's in red. That means Jesus said it. Mark eleven twenty two says, Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith, the Zoe faith. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you, now, what does that mean in today's vernacular? Brother, I say unto you, that's like in America, 
You put your hand on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. It's kind of one of those statements. When you say, verily but I say unto you, kind of one of those kind of statements you see in the Bible often, they'll say that often. Jesus says, I tell you a truth that whosoever, uh-oh, stop. Who's whosoever? There's where your name goes. So put your name in that verse. Jesus said that if Robert Lairdon shall say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and not doubt or come double-minded and but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Oh my. Look at it yourself. You, you, you can't believe it unless you see it yourself. There's somebody reading it to you. You get to prove it's in the Bible yourself. Jesus said to everybody at KT, have faith in God, not your government. You can't live off the dole. You can't look to all the handouts that the British government give you. God is your source, not the British government. If they take them away, what do you do? Most British people would get in the streets and yell and scream and break stuff. Wouldn't they? I want my free. I want my free. I want my free. Ah! Because their source has become a government and not God. I don't mind the government helping you, but if they take it away, it shouldn't bother you. It shouldn't make your world ah, and fall apart. I have that the same thing in my country called Obamacare. Obama's trying to build in America a welfare state where all of a sudden the government is their supply of their need, the helper in their life, and not God and themselves. Any form of government that removes self-reliance should change. Thank you for the three amens on the right side of the room. Please quote me and gossip about that statement so it'll spread faster. And a lot of you, as nice as you are, were raised with everybody else but yourself taking care of you and your trust in God. And that's why when I talk like that, you all look at like I came from Jupiter. And you rolled your eyes, some of you like, well, go ahead and trust the government. And when the government goes totally broke, you will be too. When they can't afford your education no more. They can't afford, because it's coming right down Main Street. And it's been talked and talked about and talked about. It's coming. It's coming. I'm warning you. So you better get your believing and your talking and your self-reliance and your trust in God strong in your life so nothing bugs you. I got four more amens on that. Now you're all scared. <laughs> you know why you're scared? Because your reliance is not on Jesus, it's on some human. It's on some political party. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. I leave in a few weeks anyway, so I can say this. <laughs> you hear me preach about this in America. I'll take your hair off when I preach it in America. Because I don't want my country to ever become totally dependent upon a government. 
I want you to become self-reliant in your God-given talents and abilities. And then God is your supplier and your need and your inspire and your creative ability. He'll give it to you if you ask him. Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. I like you. That's why I always come back and come to you first. That way I'm not too tired whenever I preach all over the country. You know, it's tough to preach in England. Because they all look at you like. <laughs> they like me because they tell me when it's all over, but getting through the hour message is sometimes a miracle. It's like, could someone just go, amen? They just look at you like, mm. <laughs> So you better be glad I've learned how to overcome British faces and look back at you and love you anyway. All right, back to the Bible. Oh, liven up, folks. It's Sunday night. Have a good time. Jesus likes you to hear you laugh. Church shouldn't be so sober that the mice even sleep. Should be so loud the mice run for their life. Have faith in God, verse 23. For verily I say unto you, you, it's a personal verse. You, sir, you, lady, you. I say unto you that whosoever, uh, that means you don't have to do this if you don't want to. You'll still go to heaven. But your victory life on earth may not be as full as it should be because you don't do this. This is available for you now to get victory while you're on earth now. Whosoever shall say to the mountain, what is a mountain? Anything that's not of God that's buffeting you. If it's a physical problem, if it's a depressional problem, a financial problem, or whatever, a mountain is any kind of problem that is there buffeting you and your family and taking your joy from you and trying to take life from you and, and, and taking your creativity and pushing you down, that's a mountain. Not having enough money is a mountain. Having a foot that don't work right is a mountain. Having a hand that don't work right is a mountain. He said, say to the mountain, be removed. I'll stop right there. What are you saying to your problems? It hurts. Give me a pill. And you're making a mountain range out of your problem. Good evening, everybody. He didn't say to the mountain, sing, ow, I'm hurting, I love you. Because when you talk unbelief, you start building a mountain range out of a mountain. Some of you have so many negative confessions in your life, you just let come out of your mouth without even thinking about it. You've built yourself in a great valley of a mountains all around you. And you wonder, how did I get here? I'm showing you. Instead of telling the mountain to go, you sing to it. Oh, 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 I have pain. And it's about the way it is. And I'm just going to make it. But praise God, one day I'll get to heaven. <laughs> that, that kind of talk creates a mountain range. The Bible tells you what to take to the mountain. You don't sing to it. You don't bite a cup of tea and drink tea with it. You treat it like a rattlesnake. You all know what a rattlesnake is? You know what a badger is? I come from Oklahoma, Texas, where we have rattlesnakes and badgers. Badgers are feisty little small animals that act like an elephant. 
They're about this big with big teeth and they own territory and they'll let you know and they don't care if you're a man with a shotgun or an elephant, they're gonna take you on because that's their territory. Be a badger with your faith. Say, my body has divine healing in it. I command my body to be healed and stay strong and walk in divine health and act like a badger towards sickness and disease. Fight it, bite it, kick it, growl at it, knock it out with your words. See, but Brother Roberts, it hurts. Well, if you keep singing unbelieving songs and talking bad, it'll get worse. You have the power of life and death in your mouth, so use life to command death to get out. He said, if you say to your mountain, that bank account that has very few pounds in it, when you look at your bank account, what do you go? Are you, I see hundreds of thousands of pounds in my account. Brother Roberts, I only have 50, and you're saying 100,000? I normally say a million, but I said 100,000 so I won't scare you. That small account is a mountain. It's a mountain. It's a mountain. He said, say to your problem, say to the condition that is not biblically right in your life, be removed and be cast into the sea or go from me. That's what you tell a problem to do. You take the life force that's in your mouth and you direct it like a bomb. And that unbelief and that condition, that mountain say, no, you can't do that to me. You find you a Bible verse that gives you a foundation for what you're believing for. And you declare that verse with all the force of faith and life inside of you, out loud. Don't whisper. Do it out loud. Do it strong in the face like a badger. Go home tonight and go on the internet and look up a badger. And watch a badger attack a horse. It's about this big. I like badgers because I like their temperament. They're feisty. It's like I want badger faith. I don't want cat faith. Kind of walks around and meows. <laughs> I want badger faith. You get close to me and I'll take you out. You get near my home and I'll bite you so good you'll run for a hundred years the opposite direction and forget you ever met me. I want badger faith. I want badger mouth. I want badger confession. I don't want this nice little little pussy cats. Meow. You die with that kind of thing. You stay in suffering. It's oh, oh, oh. Be a badger. Good evening, everybody. I know, you're still voting on me. But it's, this is how I live. Say to your problem, Jesus said, be cast into the sea. That means get away from you. Don't doubt in your heart. Don't think twice about it. When you say something the Bible says to your problems, let that be the final issue in your thought, in your feelings, and in your heart. Don't think twice. When you say, move, that's it. Don't go, oh, what if it don't? Don't ask that question. 
That's called doubt. Don't ask that question. But it's logical. No, it's doubt. You know how you know when you're in faith? It's when you don't ask when about a situation and when you don't second guess what you just said. Faith says it once and doesn't have to allow double-mindedness to come in and five minutes later go, uh, no, no. When you're in faith, your statement stays strong in you. When you're walking by faith, you don't ask when, because faith is already done. You just don't ask when. You just stay right there and it's done. That's if you want to live by faith. You don't have to, but you should. Verse 23, we're going to get through this verse. But shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. Now take your pen and underline this next phrase. He shall have whatsoever he or she says. Do you know how wild that verse is? Especially that last phrase. You can have what you say. You can have what you say. You over here can have what you say. Jesus said, you, sitting back there in the white hair, even though you're 100 years old, it didn't say it only works for people 50 years and younger. It didn't say that. Whoever does this, speak to the mountain, not doubt, no matter what age you are, no matter where you come from, that person can have what they say. That's what Jesus said. So you might want to check up on what you've been saying and start saying good things according to chapter and verse. He can have or she can have whatsoever they say. Wow. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things shall you desire when you pray? Believe you receive them and you shall have them. Uh, there's no maybe there. There's no maybe in that verse. If you do what the verse says, you get the Bible results. You can have what you say when it's based on chapter and verse and it's life and not death. You can have it. It's up to you. But like I said a while ago, most people use their mouth not to remove the mountain, but to build a mountain chain all over their life. And pretty soon they start thinking weird thoughts. Like this is the way God made me. This is my lot in life. This is just the way my family's always been. My family's always been like this. My family as far back as we know has always been like this. 
Well, you keep saying stupid things that your family has said for three generations. Of course you're going to keep that. My family was always broke. Let me tell you my story. My grandparents were Pentecostal preachers back when it wasn't popular. Today it's popular. And they were country preachers in North and South Carolina and built about 23 country churches. They had a farm where they raised crops and animals and that's how they made a living. And people came to church and they brought their offerings and their tithes with nickels and pennies and dimes and chickens and hogs. And they leave the chickens and hogs outside on the front part of the church so the pastor can take them home. That's how they paid my grandparents as a pastor. That's how they did it in that part of the place. Then the Great Depression hit. That's when poverty had a new day in the world. People committed suicide because one day they were a multimillionaire and the next day they were broke and had nothing. And they jumped out of buildings in New York and Chicago and probably here in Europe too and committed suicide because they just couldn't handle one day having everything and the next day having nothing. It's very sad. My grandparents went over a year with five cents to their name. That's all the money they had for over a year. What kept my family and my uncle, their first child, alive was they had a farm. And they could grow their crops. That's what kept them alive. My grandmother used to tell the story. She'd go to the kitchen and ask God to multiply the little eggs and little things that they had have enough for two meals instead of one out of everything. When the depression ended, it didn't end in my family. It stayed alive. And it still sneaks around today too. My grandmother died when she was 92, 93 years old. And we kept trying to clean out her house. Sometimes when she came to live in my mother, her bedroom, and she wouldn't throw anything away. She had dresses when she passed away that I remember wearing when I was five years old. We kind of sneak them out, but she'd go sneak them back in. Partly because, not because we didn't have money then, but because when you went through some crisis like that, uh, let me just take a little side note. When you go through a crisis like that, folks, a spirit can set up some type of residence in your thinking and your life and your family. And that's why a family today can have money but still act poor. They still think poor. And my grandmother was like that. And I love her. And I could never quite get her free. I would take her to buy her new clothes. And people in my church would take her out and buy her clothes. And she'd wear them. But she never would get rid of her, you know, 45-year-old clothes that's still in the closet. She had her closet full. The other closet in the front hallway full. She had two or three closets full. I said, Grandma. Let's get rid of some of these things. Because now you never know when you're going to need them. I said, I hope we never need that again. Now, I understand being frugal and understand, you know, I don't, I don't mean to live the wrong kind of, you know, lawless type of life with, with your money and things. You've got to use sense. Hear me what I'm saying? But I think you understand what I'm talking about. But when people go through a bad situation in your life or in the world and fear comes. And when that thing happens to you, and some of you here tonight, I can feel you. So I'm talking, I can feel some of you. Maybe it's not money, maybe it's a disease. 
that the doctors tell you that is genetic in your family. Now, I don't say the doctors aren't telling you the truth, but they're not the final statement about you. Do you hear that? I don't get mad at the doctors. They're doing their job. They tell you what they know, the best that they know, and how they do their job, and I love them and appreciate them. But I learned early, you're not the final statement about me. You're a statement, but not the final one. My mouth is the final statement about my body and my money and my life. Amen? Yeah. That, that doesn't mean I don't respect the doctors. I don't respect the financial people that help. I, I, I appreciate those people. I'm not mad at them. But I just learned I can sit there and listen to them and, and, and receive what they're saying. But in me, sir, they are not the final statement of my condition. They don't determine my day of departure on the earth. I live long and I don't die easy. That's my confession. I don't die easy. I don't die easy. When God breathed in me the breath of life, he gave me a good job. See, that's how I talk to myself in the mirror while I'm shaving. You don't die easy. You understand me? You live. My head goes. <laughs> you got to talk to yourself, chapter verse, and speak life to yourself and life to your world. And I love my grandmother. Most of you know I've heard my grandmother's stories all my life, and I'll tell them until the day I die. I made her famous. People used to come to my church, not to hear me preach, but to talk to her. They'd fly in from Europe and Africa and Asia. Where's your grandma? I'm the preacher. I don't care. Where's your grandma? I made her famous. But one part of my grandmother's life that I never could quite change was this. Was that poverty thing. And I understood where it came from. I mean, I, I understood. But this understanding doesn't mean I have to accept it forever. When God called me to preach, I thought, I can't obey the Lord and live off of chickens and hogs and nickels and dimes. I can't come to London by giving British Airways two pigs and a chicken. They'll laugh at me at the airport and say, go home, country boy. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I said my call was a little boy, you know, and I saw my grandparents before me and I love their anointing. I love their prayer life. I love how they treat people. I, I, I like all of that, but I didn't like the money part because they didn't have none. I mean, going to McDonald's at one time in my life was called a big deal. We didn't have enough money to even go to McDonald's. What we want to do is like a special. Today, we get to go to McDonald's. Woo! It was a big deal. I know that's strange for some of you. That's the way it was when we were little kids. We didn't have a lot of money. I didn't come from money. I came from tongue talkers. I came from gospel preachers that loved God. They didn't know anything about tithing or giving or fighting poverty devils. And they could get rid of sickness devils. They can get rid of oppression devils. When it came to money, they died right there. They gave up and their mouth spoke death. You know what got my attention one day? Was Kenneth Copeland. You know, Brother Copeland, he's on TV. You should watch him once in a while and send him a check. He came to my church in Tulsa. And back then he was only on the radio. He didn't have a TV show. So we used to listen to him at times on the radio. So we knew who he was. He came to my church on a Sunday night. And stood up and said, I don't need your money. That's the way he began his offertory. 
That's a strange way to do an offering. Tell everybody in the church, I don't need your money. I thought, well, then I won't give you any. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm just being honest with you. I, just, I won't give you any. He goes, I paid all my bills three months in advance. You know what I thought? Liar. That's not true. That's what I thought. Because I'd never in my life, I'd never in my life heard any pastor or evangelist that I knew ever say that in my life. They always showed you naked baby pictures. And they'd cry like Jimmy Swagger, give me money or we're going to go off the air. And, and we'd do it because we were moved by emotion. And that's what I was used to. Emotional giving. The sadder the story, the bigger the check. Don't look like I came from Mars. The truth. Show more naked baby pictures starving in Africa or Asia. They need some fresh water. The flies all over their face. They have no clothes on with a big belly because they're hungry. Now that's okay to do that. That's your I'm not making fun of it, but I'm saying that's the only way those folks understood offerings where I grew up, that kind of stuff. And Kenneth Copeland from Texas. All Texans are strange. You know George Bush? Texan. They all have a certain vibe to them that makes the rest of the world nervous. Even Texas preachers. He says, but if you want to be blessed, then take some of what you have and give to God tonight. He said, I got this way because I gave. He said, so if you want to be blessed, take whatever amount you want to give tonight. Five pounds or 500 pounds, whatever it is. Sure, it's your, your decision. And so it tonight and God will bless you. Amen. Pass the buckets. I thought, liar. I'd never heard an offering like that in my life. I'd never heard a preacher say, I don't need your money. So next Sunday, I went and bought his tape. Not for his message, but for his offertory. Because I wanted to hear it again in case I misunderstood what he said. Because I couldn't quite settle it. And all week long, I kept hearing him say, I don't need your money. 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 And the thing that made it really bad, my bills are paid three months in advance. I thought, that only comes when you get to heaven. That's why I was thought. And that's the way we talked. When we all get to heaven. Woo, what a day that'll be. Mm, 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 mm. And we all begin to do our Pentecostal gyrations. And the pastor, the pastor start giving a list. When you get to heaven, there'll be no more crying. Woo, yes. When you get to heaven, there'll be no more sickness or disease. Woo! The crippled people will walk. And when he got to you, get a house with no mortgage. The whole church will go, whoa! And that's why we sing heaven songs and crossing Jordan songs and in Beulah land. See, so you don't even know what those songs are. Those are called over there songs. I fly away songs. When I get there, what a day that'll be. 
That's why we always wanted the Jesus to come back right now because we had a mortgage payment on the first. And that's how we talked. That's how we talked. I know it's on the clock, but I'm not done. And I bought that tape. And he said it again on the tape. I did remember it correctly. He goes, I don't need your money. Read a verse. He goes, just to give you a testimony, God's given us the ability in our ministry to pay our TV or our radio bills and so forth three months in advance. And my head said again, liar. Because I'd never heard that kind of life talk in my life. I'd heard when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. Oh, mm. whoa, yes. That, 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 that's, that's what I remember when it got down to for money and holiday money and prosperity money and all that on the other side. That's the way we talked. That's why we didn't get much of it in the now. But my grandmother told me something long time ago. When somebody has a dimension of God that you don't have, don't criticize them. Go over and get it. All right, let me tell you this side of the room. My grandmother told me, and it's still true for all you Welch boys. If somebody has a dimension of God that you don't have, you've got to make a decision. To either recognize they got it and you don't, and then be able to humbly say, I want it and go get it. That doesn't mean you leave your church. It just means you go over there on off nights and buy all their tapes and books and go to their seminars until you get it. And I thought if Brother Copeland, back then he was fat. Now he's real skinny and old. But he don't look that old, does he? He's in his 70s. Can you believe Brother Copeland's in his 70s? Even Gloria looks like an angel when she preaches. Lord bless her. I thought, if he can do that, I, I knew another verse. I knew a verse that says, God is not a respecter of persons. I knew that verse. So that means in the Latin translation, if God did it for Copeland, he could do it for me. Because God likes us both equally. And the word works for us both if we'll do what the Bible says. He's not special because he's on TV. We're both special because we're in God's family with the Bible in our lap that works for those who believe it and do it. And I thought if that works for Brother Copeland, I want that. Because I can't do my worldwide ministry off of how my grandparents lived with chickens and hogs and nickels and dimes in a country church with an A-frame building that needs a new roof that never gets it. I put the roof on the last church my grandparents pastored because the church is still so broke they can't do it. It felt real good. It's okay to feel good. When you talk right, you start feeling good. 
And when it starts happening, you feel real good. I need to close. And my battle with poverty started with the words I spoke. My first battle with it was if I couldn't say anything right, I wouldn't say nothing at all. I'd just stay quiet. I just sit there and hear Copeland say, I don't need any money. If I couldn't say something in line with chapter and verse like that, I just stayed quiet and looked at you. What were you doing? My head was doing somersaults. My emotions were screaming. My intellect was going, ha, 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 ha. And my memory was showing me pictures real fast, like, of all the poverty, sad moments of my life I had of that time. When I didn't have enough money to go to McDonald's, and have enough money to buy a new coat for winter, when we all had to stay home because we had no money to do nothing because we were broke but loved Jesus and hoped for the rapture. In my mind, when I had to start taking charge of it, I just look at you. Probably glared-eyed and crazy-looking. One day my grandmother said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm fighting. She says, who? I says, me. She said, what's going on? I said, you. She goes, me. I said, grandma, you are the matriarch of this family. And I love everything about you but one thing, your poverty devil. She goes, yeah, I got one. At least she knew it. Some of you don't know you got one. I said, I'm not going to obey the call of God and be paid like you. She goes, please, do it. She encouraged me. I had to go first. I pulled her a little bit before she died, but I didn't get her across the line. I went first. I first had to decide what I was going to start saying. I had to start saying, God likes me and is going to prosper me. That felt so weird when I said what was opposite in my family. So weird. But I started saying it. I thought, I'm justified or condemned by my words, Matthew 12 says. Matthew 12, 36, 37, 38. If you can't say something full of life, just be quiet for a while until the word that you're reading builds up inside of you and starts making utterance out of your mouth. And then I started calling myself rich. You know how hard that feels when you've been born with poverty? I'm rich. And everything in you goes, mm. and it even feels weird when you say it because that's like cussing in churches. Most churches, you tell their church, call yourself wealthy. They look around the room like God might strike them with a bolt of lightning for saying that. No just denominational stupid people do that. Don't say that. You get what you say. You get what you say. God is making me wealthy. Every day he's increasing my joy, my money, my health, my favor. 
every day, every day. It comes to me every day. But the first few times you start doing that according to chapter and verse, your insides and your traditions and everything you've heard and you've accepted and all your friends that talk like that pass in your mind, in your ears. Then your friends laugh at you. Ha, 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 ha. I wrote my first book when I was 17. My first one. I sold a million and a half of them. Scared me. And my publisher called me one day said, we'd like to take you out to lunch. When a publisher takes you out to lunch, that's called good news. Normally, they just have you a cup of coffee in a boardroom. When they take you out to lunch, something good's about to happen to you. I, and they asked me this question. What's your favorite restaurant? So I picked a good one. You don't pick McDonald's when you ask that question. So I picked my favorite Chinese restaurant there in Tulsa. And I go out and they want me to sign about 10 more contracts. They wanted me to write a book a month. I said, I've not lived that long. I'm just a 17-year-old teenage preacher. You're selling more books than everybody else in our company. You're out selling Brother Copeland. You're out selling Jerry Savelle. You're out selling all these guys. And you're 17 years old. Write a book, write a book, write a book. Write books, write books, write books, write books. I said, no. He said, write another heaven book. I said, I didn't go twice. I only went once. Can't lie. They said, Well, when you get a new book, let us know. We want to publish it. I said, All right, if the Lord gives you one, I'll, I'll give it to you. I said, Right now, I don't, I don't, I don't have nothing. And if I just wrote something, it'd, just, it'd be nothing. And they took out of this pocket an envelope, handed it to me. So I took it and he was paying for the lunch, and for some reason, which I normally don't do this, I opened it right then. I usually do it when I get home. I'll give it to my secretary. I opened it up. I guess when you're 17 years old, you haven't learned not to open it up yet. And I looked at it. One, two, three, thirty-two thousand dollars. I tapped him on the shoulder. I think your accounting office made a mistake. There's too many zeros on this thing. <laughs> I mean, if it was $3,000 or $3,200, I mean, that's what I thought it might be. $32,000 and I'm still in high school. I'm still in high school. So I was very happy. I made more money in that first quarter than my mother did being a school teacher for a whole year. I made more money than the teachers teaching me algebra and science and English. There's a student sitting in front of them that made in four months than what my school teachers were being paid. I came home because I still, 
I'm still living at home. I'm a teenager at home. And I laid the check on the table. <laughs> my mom, my grandmother, my sister, and me. Before my, before my mom remarried. My sister looks at it and goes, is that real? I said, we'll find out in the morning when we cash it. I said, yes, it's real. She says, buy me a car. You know, sisters, spend your money fast, like wives. When you don't have a wife, your sister knows that. My grandmother looked at it and said, well, thank God somebody's finally prospering. And my mom just looked at it. And she goes, that's more than I make in a whole year being a school teacher. I said, isn't that nice? <laughs> that was the first day that poverty ate dirt in my life. <laughs> but it started because I learned how to talk life and not death. How to talk to a mountain and make it get up and get out of my family. Can I tell you one more story? You won't believe this one. I bought a jet. Now I know British Christians have a problem with Christian preachers owning planes, but your country's small. Our country's 3,000 miles across. Your country's the size of one state. That's why you don't understand jets. <laughs> Buy helicopters. And buzz around, because your traffic's of the devil. <laughs> so I was living in California. Life was doing good, ministry's doing good. I was happy, and my spiritual father, Brother Summerall, Always flew in his plane. He'd come to preach for us. And I'd go out to the airport and, with my car and my associate pastor's car and pick up him and his pilots. He always invited me in on the plane. I'd go in and get his big old heavy briefcase without wheels. In those days, you carried the big old honking thing. I'd sit down on the plane and talk to him for a few minutes and say, are you, are you hungry? Would you like to go to lunch? He goes, yeah, I'd like to have a good lunch with you. I said, good, I got a good restaurant to take you to. He goes, yeah, I like restaurants in California. So I got a new one for you. So we'd take him to lunch. And he would come off the plane. I'd go off first. And he'd stop right there at the door of the plane. He says, where's your plane at? I said, that's wrong. I don't have a plane. I fly in those things over there by seat. He goes, mm. walk off. He did that every time he came to Orange County, California for a couple of years. Where's your plane at? President <laughs> wrong. I don't have a plane. I buy a seat in those ones over there. That's how I fly. Because, huh, walks off. Every time, every time I thought, what is this? The curse of Brother Summerall? I, I, I didn't get it. So one day I was at the pool. I like things with water in it. 
I sat in the pool and I was thinking, because he's coming in a few days, he's going to do the same thing. <laughs> and I do the same thing and he never says anything. Huh, walks off. Some are all talked by sounds as well as words. Hmm, ha, huh, ah, that all meant something. Learn your spiritual parents, even their tones and their gestures. I thought he's trying to see if I have any faith for a plane. That's what he's doing. Because I wasn't talking or believing for a plane. I just wanted to ride first class. Now, first class is nice, especially when you're flying to London. Really, when you're flying to New Zealand and Australia, you need it bad. Because it's like 18 hours from L.A. to get to Sydney. You have dinner. You go to sleep. You have breakfast. You go back to sleep. You wake up. You have lunch. And now you're going to have dinner before you land. That's called insane. Whew. So I got off the... He came and got on the plane. And I was all ready for it. I was waiting for him to walk off to the front door of the plane. He goes, Brother Roberts, where's your plane at? I said, can't you see it? It's right here. <laughs> and then he goes, finally. And he walks off. <laughs> well, your words create your tomorrows. Now, let me tell you this. God has no problem, sir, or Elizabeth, to give you anything you need to do what he's asked you to do, no matter what it costs. He can give you a building and pay for it. Give you a car and pay for it. Give you a plane or a jet or a bus or God has no problems getting to you what you need to do what he's asked you to do and to live a good life. But you've got to believe it and talk about it. A little while later, I was in Columbus, Ohio, preaching a camp meeting. And they flew my plane in to Columbus, Ohio to pick the owner named Roberts Lernan up. And in private airports, they actually roll out the red carpet for you. No joke, it's red. And it's real nice to walk on it too. Have you walked on red carpet because you belonged on it? See, I can tell you. No. And I know British Christians and British preachers get mad at Americans talking about their planes. But why don't you get what you need? Whatever you need in England to get the gospel to the people of this country and to where you're called, he'll give it to you if you'll start talking right and believing. No matter what it costs, God has no problems with figures. He has problems with your mouth and your faith. It landed. And they rolled off the red carpet and opened the door of my plane that I called Go One. And I walked on red carpet slow. When you're on red carpet, enjoy it. Don't walk real fast like you don't belong there. Make sure your foot makes an imprint in the red carpet as you walk down the... And enjoy every minute of the red carpet and take pictures. Enjoy it. Make poverty eat dirt. Make poverty sad that it ever came near your house again. And I put my foot on the first step to go in the plane. There was three steps into the plane. And my pilot was standing there and goes, Mr. Lairdon, I'm proud to announce and to give you 
your plane. I said, thank you, I'd take it. I walked in and it was white seats with gold trim. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Had some round sound television in there, a little kitchen. A toilet with a mirror you can see your face in. Not one this small, you only see half your face. And I killed poverty. And I learned real early in my life that God will give to me and give to you anything you need for your private life and for your business or for your ministry. It don't matter what it costs or what it looks like. If it's a legitimate need, if it's a legitimate thing that you need, Jesus will get it to you if you talk right. Amen. You've got a good clap offering if you would tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, glory be to God forever. He'll do it for you. Whatever it is. Hallelujah. Father, bless these people tonight. Bless them. And let the words of their mouth become more part of their conscious of their life and their behavior. Move upon this people and let them speak life and not death. Let them break the power that has keep their family oppressed in some area of their life. Give them the power to speak words that change it and command the mountains to move. And let good things and a good life, a happy life, come to every one of them. Give them the ability to cut down the family tree that's full of wickedness and full of lack and plant a new tree of abundance with the words of their mouth and the seeds of their life. For we all one day will say, Jesus has done this for me. Jesus has showed me his salvation. Jesus has blessed me physically, spiritually, financially, socially, I am blessed of the Lord. I am blessed of the Lord. Lift your hands up right now toward heaven and thank God for his blessings in your life. Just thank God right now for the blessings of the Lord. Thank him for his blessings. And may your mouth claim life right now. Claim life right now. Not death, but I claim life and victory. I claim life and victory. I am the healed and the healthy in the Lord. I am prosperous and not broke. I'm the head of the tail. I'm above and not beneath. My life is working. I am favored. I am victorious. I'm a winner. I'm a champion through Christ Jesus. Oh, glory be to God. Come on. Lift up your voice and speak life. Speak victory. Open your mouth up and declare it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm the healer. 
healthy in the Lord. I am favored and not rejected. Hallelujah. Oh, life and not death. Victory and not defeat. Joy. And not sadness. Oh, hallelujah. 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 20 more seconds. Come on, 20 more seconds. Speak out. Do your own talk for your own life. You speak life for yourself. Speak life and not death. My family is happy. My family is unified. Oh, the glory of God. Rest upon us. Speak life. Speak life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. That's it. Hallelujah.
a hug from Robert's Laird. Amen. Let's give Gabriel a good hand. I'll see you again. God bless you.